0: We are in a series uh, called Prison, or or it's called Three Hots in a Cot about the prison epistles. Paul wrote these letters Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians are written to regions or cities where churches are established, Uh, and then Philemon is written to an individual. And Paul wrote these letters from prison in Rome uh, between the years of AD 60 and 62. And this period of time in his imprisonment, he might have been under what they called house arrest, but it wasn't really all sunshine and roses. At another point in his imprisonment, it was pretty rough, kind of thrown into a pit. We don't exactly know which one of those, where these were written, but one of the things that I love about what what we're talking about in this series is the fact that the Apostle Paul didn't allow his circumstances to stop his calling. And I know for me, I get really put out by minor inconveniences in life and, you know, I, I feel like that meme is appropriate to me. You know, God, you give your hardest test to your strongest soldiers, you know, and then the meme says you should just go outside and, you know, get some air or something. Um, my life isn't really that tough in comparison, but but a lot of things kind of knock me off course. And uh, I'm encouraged by the witness of, of the Apostle Paul to continue to minister to churches. The word apostle, when we talk about the Apostle Paul, it actually means sent one or commissioned one, someone who has been given a specific assignment or a mission, and for the apostle the apostles in the New Testament and apostles today their assignment is to establish the church to uh, establish sound doctrine establish communities of faith and then to make sure that they're operating in accordance with how they were established operating according to the plan and that's what the apostle Paul did as an apostle and what we see the apostolic work of of the churches today we're going to talk about that in just a minute but before we do that I want to give you probably the most important thing I've ever said to any group of people ever ever in my ministry. Seriously, this is going to give you the interpretive key to really all things in life. Um, Is it the secret of the universe? It probably is. (laughs) So are you ready for this? If you understand what I'm about to tell you today, you know pretty much everything. You know how to determine human relationships, all this kind of stuff. Okay, are you ready? ready? Okay, there are two types of people in this world. Those that read the manual and those that don't. Now that you know that, how many of you can feel the enlightenment weight washing over you? And usually the person that reads the manual and the person that doesn't are married to each other. Come on. How many of you know? Let's get real in church today, okay? How many of you know in life there are two different types of people? And really this is how you divide all things in life. Those that when they open up a new game, the first thing they do is they reach for that instruction manual and they want to read it. And they're like, no, not the red chips, Richard, the blue chips, you know? And, and they're, really, they're making sure everything's under control. They want to properly understand it. Three hours later, you're out to play. How many of you, you know what I'm saying? You read the manual. You get a new car. You don't drive it. You, you get the manual out. Okay, how many of you, like me, are read the manual first, people? Just identify yourself. Yes. I mean, just because those of us that read the manual are morally and intellectually superior. (laughs) Don't miss out on this next part. How many of you, though, on the other hand, are actually like, we don't need the manual. Let's just do it. Let's just try it. Let's just go for it. Okay. Awesome. You guys are the reason that life is fun. You're also the reason that police officers exist. And hospitals. But there's no condemnation in Christ. You can you can grow, right? You can ha. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. But I am, like I said, I'm I'm a read the manual first type person. And then you have the other people who are like, let's just figure it out, right? Now, usually this is opposite to track, and Bethany and I, this is she is absolutely like, open it up, do it, jump right in. We don't need to read the manual, and I'm the opposite. Now here's the deal. When you read the manual, whether it's your car or a piece of furniture you buy or whatever you're going to put together, um, sometimes you need to read the manual. And sometimes that's really going to make it better. Other times, it doesn't. And actually, sad enough for those of you that are like me, who are always, let's read the manual, the Christian faith and making disciples and what we're called to do in the operation and function of the church, could I say this? It actually might work a little bit better if you don't think that you need to understand everything in the manual before you actually begin to do it. In fact, I would say, that it's kind of a byproduct of our Western uh, cultural approach to epistemology, how we know what we know, our study of truth, our learning. We, we tend to gravitate and associate maturity and expertise with head knowledge and understanding something, whereas in the cultural uh, context of the Scripture, there was more of an emphasis, not in neglecting that which was true and neglecting the manual, so to speak, or the truth, but actually putting it into action. And here's the thing, what I know about life is that where the church actually grows, where the kingdom of God actually advances, where people's lives are transformed, where people get baptized like we're seeing today, is not just because of head knowledge, it's because of action and obedience. And I believe today as we study and we move forward in the book of Ephesians, looking at what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Ephesian church, but also is saying to us today by the Spirit of God, we're going to see that we're actually called to put into action and into play that which we see in the owner's manual, if you will. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, hands down. And I call this the owner's manual of the church. That's probably why I like this so much. Because I'm like, oh, right, instructions. (laughs) I take take great pleasure in it. Uh, And as we read this passage of Scripture, we're going to see how the church is structured, how the church is supposed to function, but I believe even more important than that, I believe we're going to have a paradigm shift that takes us out of seeing church as something we, we just understand or know or observe and really flips that script around and says, actually, the church is something I'm meant to engage in and do. It's not meant to remain as a book on a shelf, but rather to be applied in my life. And that's where the transformation is. So all my manual neglecting folks say, what's up? Come on, this is for you today. Okay, and th- those of us that maybe are a little bit too attached to the manual, we're going to learn too and grow, and we'll have a good time. Join with me as we read the scripture today. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven says, "Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church: the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers." This is what we call the fivefold, and the reason we call it the fivefold is because there's five things here. I don't think there's anything really more spiritual than that. There's five categories. These are the the individuals that Christ has placed or enabled or gifted into his church, the body of Christ. That's us, okay? He's placed these individuals for a particular purpose. Pastor Steve Merle calls this group of individuals the mentors, okay? Their job is to do what it says in verse 12. Their responsibility or their job is to look really good while they work hard, to have the biggest church they possibly can so they can have a conference, write books, go on Oprah. Is that what it says? Oh, Boo! Boo! Somebody, I'm going to get fruit thrown at me today and I'm, I'm on your side. Okay. Boo! Off with his head. Okay. No, it's not what it says, okay? It says their job is to equip God's people to do His work, that's God's work, and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. I want you to Mark that word, put a pin in it. This word mature is the pivot point of this message today. Uh, We're going to see where maturity is the distinguishing factor in what we're talking about uh, that needs to be at the heart of the church and our purpose together. And what is our standard? Paul says that we would measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is interesting because people will say, well, the Old Testament was all about the law and these standards and these, these lines and, you know, it's the New Testament. It's all about grace. I'm sorry, I have to let you in on a little secret. The New Testament makes Christianity much harder than the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, you had to keep some rituals, make sure you didn't eat you know, stuff with blood in it. The New Testament, you know what your standard is? Are you fully up to the level of Jesus Christ? That is intimidating to me. I am not close, are you? I, I don't go, you know, man, I'm gonna get there. I'm, I'm, like in, I'm in spitting distance of Christ. Nope, (laughs) not at all. And I've met you know most of the people here, and you're not either. In case you were confused, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. But man, we don't look, we don't always look like Jesus, but that is the standard. He is the standard. And it says, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Now let me pause here for a second, because... What Paul is describing is actually the state that that I see uh, of the church, specifically in the Western world, uh, where we are being tricked with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Now, here's how it works when you're tricked by a lie so clever it sounds like the truth. It sounds like the truth. You think it's true. So what tells you that this thing that I'm believing in or this ideology that I'm giving myself towards or this course of study or whatever, what tells me that it isn't true? And you go, well, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to tell me, yeah, I mean, yes, I'm going to look at the scripture, absolutely. But actually, the differentiating factor here is not knowledge, it's rather maturity. Uh, What Paul says is going to deliver us out of immaturity, getting pushed by all these winds of doctrine and different ideas that are tricking us as Christians, is not how much we know, but rather if we are mature, and we're going to talk about what that means. Now, here's what I see in our culture today. Whether you're on the political right or the political left, I see a lot of very intelligent, and I want to emphasize this, very intelligent, very um, people that love Jesus, uh, that they, they want to do what's right, but, but very, you know, a lot of head knowledge Christians getting pulled into really ridiculous ideologies and philosophies that take them away from the mission of Jesus. Okay, and here's what I mean. You got people who are like, you know, Don Trump is the second coming of Jesus, and he's going to deliver us from Pharaoh and Babylon and, and Biden, and, and then and you're like, oh, he's going to k- criticize conservatives. Well, I'm going to criticize liberals here in just a second. Then you got people on the left who are like, you know, we need to have open borders because Jesus and stuff, and they're like, scripture reference from the Old Testament out of context, and all the conservatives are like, oh my God, read your Bible, and we're all at each other's throats, and we're all believing this stuff where we can find some, some, some scripture, some text taken out of context that turns it into a proof text, and now I can hit somebody with the Bible and be like, see, should have voted for Trump. <laughs> or, see, should have voted for Biden. Or, see, should have gone my direction politically. Can I just let you in on something? The Bible was not written about America. But, but it should absolutely influence how you vote and how you serve as an American. Man, I'm proud of my country. I love my country. I'm more proud. I'm more, I'm more connected to a, not my nation but my kingdom. The Bible is about not Trump or Biden or Obama or who's the Antichrist or if the seventh blood moon of the fourth wind. and Like, bro, if you're watching prophecy stuff on YouTube and it can fit into a Harry Potter book, you're off. Read Harry Potter, it's a great series, but then come back and read Ephesians and be like, what is my mission as the church? If you're more concerned about blood moons than going across the street and winning your neighbor to Jesus, you're off. It sounds so true. You got some guy up there on a suit or some lady that looks like a witch teaching you about stuff on YouTube or whatever, and you go, man, this sounds true, because they showed me the Bible code, the numbers in the Bible, And how seven and four and three, and if you do this and you move it into Hebrew and you divide it by three and then translate it to Japanese, it says right here. (laughs) And I'm like, guys, I agree with Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain. He said, I'm not worried about the parts of the Bible I don't understand. I'm worried about the parts of the Bible I do. You okay? Did I miss any part of the country to offend yet? I want to make sure it's equal. (laughs) Pastor Jake says that the politics don't matter. They absolutely matter. But you know what matters is that the kingdom of God infiltrates, that God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, Christ's way influences, because the end of it all, as it says in the Scripture, is that all the nations of this world will bow their knee to Jesus Christ. The kingdoms of this world will become the, 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 the domain of our Lord and Savior. So when I think about politi- politics or I think about social issues or moral issues or the things that we're dealing with, I'm not making fun of it. I think you should consider these things and you should look into it. What I'm saying though is that when we get pulled away from the center of the river, we end up wrecked on the banks and we turn our faith into a Christianity of republicanism or a Christianity of of being a Democrat or a Christianity of conservatism or a Christianity, a gospel of liberalism and nobody has all of the answers other than Jesus. The only kingdom that we're to give full-hearted allegiance to is the church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God. And then we're to make it manifest and known in the best way that we can as followers of Jesus. Are you with me? Uh, These are the lies that sound so clever that they trick us. Now, what distinguishes, what helps us to get away from these types of things? It's when we understand maturity. And let's go on in this passage. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. This is verse 15. Growing in every way, more and more like Christ. If people were more like Jesus, the world would be better. How, How many of you would agree with that? Like, if I could be more like Jesus, the Schmelzer family would get better. If I could be more like Jesus, even what's going on in my own head could be better. If I could be more like Jesus, I'm going to make an impact in my neighborhood, in my community, in my work, in my church, in my school. Who is the head of his body, the church? He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, here's what we're going to do today. We're going to work backwards through this passage because there are three distinct movements or thoughts that are happening here, but they're very easy to miss, and they're, they're very easy to miss, especially because of the way that we tend to measure maturity, which I think is incorrect. So here's what I would say, that we tend to measure maturity by who knows the most, and that's not actually what it says here, how the church is supposed to function. The people that spend all their time focused on head knowledge only, they fall into this trap that Paul says knowledge by itself puffs up, okay? And it like creates a hot air balloon. You're full of hot air when all you build up is head knowledge. Because it's not just about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. And I would say that you could be a, a, a relatively simplistic Christian with a, relative list, a relativistically simple doctrine or theology of Christ and the cross and the gospel and God's work in you. And that you can, you can make a lot of uh, danger for the kingdom of hell by actually stepping out and walking out the truth that you've received. I'd also say that what we see here in this is that the maturity that we, that we want, we want to grow and be mature, it comes from actually obeying Jesus and doing the work of the ministry, not just learning more and more and more and more and more. So what we're gonna do is work backwards through this. We're gonna look at two verses at a time. What we see in verse 15 and 16, the verses that we just read, is the goal. Looking more and more, speaking the truth in love, growing all the time, more and more like Christ. He's the head of his body, right? He's the head of the church. Um, the whole body fitting together perfectly. No friction, no fighting, not, not jostling for position. And each part doing its own special work. And every, everybody has a place, everybody has a job, everybody's functioning in the church. And we're actually helping each other grow. And then the end is this beautiful sentence so that the whole body or the whole church, this whole community is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, when I hear that sentence, I think it's beautiful because I see a picture of a church that I would absolutely love to be a part of, a church that is healthy, that is growing, and that is full of love. That is the church that we strive to be, that we long to be, Joy Church here, our local expression of the body of Christ. How many of you want to go to a church that's healthy, that is growing, and is full of love? Man, I've been at some churches. I've seen churches that are healthy. They're not really growing. And they're not really full of love. Or I've been at churches that are full of love, but they're not healthy or growing. They may be dysfunctional and they get weird. Somebody's in the back and they got a shofar. And it's just getting odd, you know? No offense. <laughs> Somebody's going to whip out a shofar and knock the walls of Jericho down. Um, but all, of, all three of these distinguishing marks, this is the goal. This is the kind of church that we're proud to bring our friends and family to. This is the kind of place that we are, that we're excited about not just going to, but being a part of and, and participating in. And according to the owner's manual, if we can call Ephesians 4.11-16 the owner's manual of the church, this is the, the picture at the end of the manual of the goal of where we're trying to get. You ever bought anything from Ikea? You know, you're like, I'd like to buy this lovely They're like, that's fine, sir. We need you to go to aisle seven and you can get your and then you can stop by the cafe and get a... You're like, oh, it's charismatic church speaking in tongues. Well, I do speak in tongues. No, I was actually speaking fluent Swedish there. You didn't know it. It's a dialect, little-known dialect, in case anyone actually speaks Swedish. Uh, IKEA has these crazy names on their furniture, right? And if you look at their manuals, it's like you bought a, it's a bed or it's a, a chest of drawers, but it's called like a... And... You know, Bethany's always like, we can just do it. And I'm like, I'm going to go and learn Viking so I can, at the end, and see where we're supposed to get. But there's a picture at the end. And at the end of the manual, there's this beautiful picture like, when you do it the right way, this is what it's meant to be. That's what we're seeing here. This is how the church is meant to be. Now, here's the question Is this what? you and a lot of the people that you associate with that you know either a think about the church and associate it with this or have a or b actually experienced no unfortunately many people have never actually seen the finished product in real life because again they haven't seen a church that's healthy growing and full of love and my question is if we want to get from here to there because I think Joy Church is a great church. Honestly, I, I'm kind of always amazed by how incredible you guys are. I think I'm pretty good too, but I mean, I was not trying to p- blow my own horn, you know. I just, I really, really like this church. Um, I love our church. I love you guys. I see so much generosity. I see so much loving people, serving, sharing your faith. Like, this is not a judgmental place. You come here, you can be broken. You can get healed. Like, this is an awesome place to be. I love being a part of this church, I still think we have a ways to go. How about that? I still think, like, in me, I need to grow more like Jesus. I think as we do this, we can still get farther on this road of being healthy, growing, and full of love. And a lot of people have never experienced that or seen it in real life. So how do we get there from here? Well, let's go back now to the preceding verses, verse 13 and 14. It says, instead, we'll speak the truth in love. Uh, or this will, uh, sorry, in verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. Remember, I told you to mark that word mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full standard of Christ. When Paul says, here's the finished product of maturity, the picture that we're supposed to see at the end of the manual is Jesus, not a better version of you. This is where we get off a lot of times, is we don't actually ever participate in grace because we're not actually ever willing to look at our brokenness. In other words, if I'm close and I just need to work a little bit harder to get to Christ and that makes me mature, then all I got to do is like put in some more reps and I'll get there. The gospel says, actually, it doesn't matter how many reps you put in, you will never get there on your own. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to produce the fruit of righteousness, okay? You can begin to look like Jesus, and to be fully mature is to look like Jesus Christ. Having that in mind allows us to live in this kind of tension of of really not measuring up to Jesus, but also not living lies. See, hypocrisy is where you wear a mask and you go, hey, I'm actually closer to Jesus then, 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 you know, I'm actually closer than farther away. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a facade and, and a real Christian goes, actually, I fall very short of the standard of Christ, but I don't deny that is the standard. And I trust in the grace of Christ to make me right with God and to bring me positionally to that place. And I give my life in surrender to follow him so that I can continue to look more and more like him. So it's like a now reality, but it's also a progression. Okay, you, you guys okay with me here? So we're measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. But then Paul keeps talking about this thing, immaturity. We won't be immature like kids. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching, pulled aside, believing all this stuff that isn't true. So what do we see here? What, what allows a church that we want to, to, to go to to exist? I would say it's this. It's that mature people or mature followers of Jesus create healthy environments maturity produces health. As we are becoming more and more like Jesus, we are making the environments around us, our internal and our external environments, more and more healthy. Now, if you don't believe me, I want to invite you to take a field trip. Just find any family in the church that has any children under the ages of five or six, and I want you to just surprise show up at their house between the the time of 7 to 8 a.m. on a random Tuesday. And you will get a, a, a free vision, a free look into the chaos and of immaturity. Come on. I remember one time I walk around the corner. We were living at a rental house. And uh, thank God after I tell you this story. <laughs> Hope it wasn't <laughs> one of your rentals. Anyways, we're walking around. I'm walking around the corner. And I was watching the kids. Bethany was uh, at the grocery store or something. And, and I see that my children are like sliding across the floor but it was way too graceful. I'm like, I don't think we have that tile that turns into ice or whatever. Sure enough, I come around the corner and there's, now I start to see the bubbles coming up and they had turned the entire kitchen into a skating rink with uh, dish detergent or dish, dish soap. And so here are my beautiful children and ha ha ha, dad, look what we've done. And I wish I could tell you that I reacted with such grace and kindness and maturity. But I believe I may have uttered a, a word that I cannot repeat in church, <laughs> mayhaps, uh, <laughs> might, have a, might have uttered a choice word. And uh, recently my son Jack was like, we are playing cards, uh, Dutch Blitz, it's a wonderful good game, and um, not a lot of people are going to get that, okay, <laughs> we're playing Dutch Blitz and we're having a good time as a family and Jack's like, yeah, I know five cuss words, And we're like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, I learned them from TV and dad. (laughs) Your other dad? I mean, (laughs) (laughs) not me. (laughs) Bethany's looking at me, you know. Okay, anyways. I walk around the corner, and they're skating around the floor, and I lost my cool. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? And it was a huge... Mess. Now, can I tell you, that mess did not come from maturity. The mess did not come from young minds being shaped and molded in the educational creche, uh, raised up to a status of erudite scholarship, who are considering the ramifications of their choices and actions. (laughs) No, it was coming from immaturity. Immaturity makes messes. And it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 50. 50. Because the same immature thinking, not thinking about the future, not thinking about who I'm going to hurt, not thinking about who I'm going to affect, not thinking about tomorrow morning when I wake up and whatever I drank last night wore off, and the choices and actions I made and how they impacted other people, mature people don't do that. Immaturity is what causes us to get into messy situations. Immaturity is what creates this mess. Now, Paul's talking about being pulled aside, following all these different things, and, and, and uh, he's basically saying in the first century, first century uh, equivalent of you're like a chicken with your head cut off. You're just, every time you hear something, you're like, that sounds cool. That must be the, the new thing that's Christianity, and you run over here, and, you know, people are like, you don't have to go to church. You can meet God on a golf course, and you're like, that sounds good, <laughs> you know? Sometimes watching, being a pastor, I got, I got to get my head on a swivel. Because some people are like, they're so immature that like, I don't even know what, what lie do I have to help you with today? Do you know what I'm saying? No? Let's keep going. And guess who is the chief sinner of them all? Me. My immaturity gets me Focused on all this kind of stuff, not looking at Jesus. It's like, I don't want to do anything that's good. I just want to go left, right, left, right. Anybody else feel like this? Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7. It's like, I, I know what I should do, but I don't do that. And I don't do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do. It sounds like a kind of a schizophrenic moment. And he's going back and forth, back and forth. And that's actually what's this war on the inside of us. This is immaturity. And immaturity creates chaos. And immaturity creates Churches that aren't a good time to be a part of, and immaturity creates messiness in our lives. But maturity produces that kind of church that we wanted to see. So the question then becomes as we reverse engineer this passage if we want to be part of a healthy church, and we know that comes from maturity, and immaturity is the the thing that goes against that, then how do we become mature? What is the process of maturity? And this is where we go back to the first verses that we read, because here's actually where it starts. In verse 11, Paul says, now these are the gifts, gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the sent ones, those that plant churches, that establish new works of the kingdom and strategically look over and carry the message of Christ and keep things in order. Then we have the prophets that speak God's word, the right now Rama word, not just the logos, but like this is what God's saying today. We believe in the prophetic, not that it rewrites scripture. No, it has to agree with scripture, but there's a prophetic voice into the church. You know, I'm just going to tell you right now, the prophetic voices into the church aren't the people telling you about blood moons and who's going to be president. The prophetic, it says in Revelation, is to give a clear witness to Jesus. So the prophetic is going to push you towards the kingdom of God, not more Americanism or whatever, whatever side of the political aisle you're on. Okay? I know I'm going to hurt some people's feelings today. I'm going to help you out. This is, a, this is truth. Okay? The actual prophetic witness that comes from the Bible that carries the pure prophetic stream of Jesus is going to lift up and build up his church. It's gonna encourage you in the Lord and it's gonna bring correction to things that are out of order in your life. We see the prophetic, we see the evangelist. What do evangelists do? Oh, they win people to Jesus. No, they equip you to win people to Jesus. You see, an evangelist isn't somebody that just gets up on a stage and goes, who wants to raise their hand and come to Jesus today? That's great, that is evangelistic work, praise God for that. But an evangelistic anointing Represented in this fivefold uh, leadership or mentorship is actually to push the work of God into your spirit and soul and activate you to get out there and win people to Jesus like you believe people were on their way to a Christless eternity. You see, the evangelistic anointing isn't just to, to give a great message and see a lot of people respond, it's to get Christians to go, man, it's my job to carry the world's greatest message and let my life be a living billboard, amplifying what Jesus has done in me and what he's doing through me and what he wants to do for you. Come on. So an evangelist is going to stir you up. And then the pastors, the shepherds, we all love pastors. I would say my title is pastor. It's not my primary gifting. Anybody that knows me closely knows this is true. I am not so totally nurturing. I'm probably more of an apostle and a teacher, you know, some of those things. But I am a pastor, but I love to to pass people and shepherd. But honestly, when you meet like a full out New Testament shepherd, they're just like, man, get around. We all here in the flock. Bro, you're doing good. You're doing good. I love you for you. Man, you're a hero. You're a champ. You're, you're not a chump, you're a champ. You know, the pastor's gonna nurture you, they're gonna feed you, they're gonna pull, they're gonna lovingly come and they're gonna be like, let's get the little birds out of your wool. You know, let's get the, let me get some anointing oil and help you sheep, you know. I I I'm I'm not so gifted and anointed with that, I'm sorry. But these these pastors, we absolutely need them. They're shepherds, they they watch over the flock. They're one of the aspects of mentorship and leadership in the church. And then fifth and finally, the teachers who clearly and accurately lay out for us the truth of the scripture. And bring us back away from error and say, nope, nope, here's the word of God. This is what God said. Let's teach it. Let's understand it. Let's be clear. you with me here? So these are the gifts that Christ has given his church, what Pastor Steve Merle calls the mentors, but their ministry is not to stand on a stage while a bunch of people watch. This is why we get off in our Western context, because you go, well, Jake, you're up on a stage standing there teaching, and isn't this about, aren't you doing ministry? No actually not i am doing equipping and i might be doing a bad job or i might be doing a good job but that's actually what the job of the fivefold is to do is to equip and everybody raise their hand god's people to do god's work what we see here is that when god's people do god's work is that they grow mature they don't grow as their head knowledge increases exclusively we grow as god's people when we go you know what i was handed a tool from an evangelist who told me how to share my testimony. I was handed a tool from an apostle who said, somebody needs to plant a church in Salem, Oregon. I was handed a tool when somebody said, somebody needs to plant a church in Hawaii or somebody needs to go to California. When an apostle said, let's go, let's do something, let's do it the right way. When a prophet said, this is what God is saying today. When a teacher said, here's the right way to see the scripture and to understand it and apply it in your life. I was equipped, but now I'm living out. I'm a, I'm a living, breathing participant in the church. I'm doing the stuff. I'm not just listening or watching it happen. Are you you guys with me here today? This is where maturity comes from. Maturity comes from ministry. If you want to grow, and I'll guarantee you this is the absolute fastest way to grow in your faith, in your walk with Jesus, is to put your faith into action, to begin to do the work of the ministry. How do you do that here at Joy Church? Go and be a part of Next Track. Join Joy Church. Learn the foundations of how to walk with Jesus and learn the beginning steps of how to invite other people to walk with Jesus because you are called to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Go to the interest meeting on August 6th that, we have, that we're having for Joy Groups and learn how to be a Joy Group leader or an apprentice or a host, whatever level of faith that you have, but as you begin to open up your life to actually lead other people, as inadequate as you feel or you actually are, you will grow. You will grow. When you are doing the work of ministry, the questions you ask gets better, smarter, sharper. And you can go to an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, and go, hey, I'm trying to do this work of the ministry and I'm missing something here, help me. And the mentors can say, hey, let me shape you up here. Okay, get back out on the field and play the game. This is the pattern of maturity and the pattern of how the church becomes what we want to see it become. Listen, let me ask you this question. Have you learned more about driving from actually getting out on the open road and driving or hanging out at the DMV? Which one? Driving, right? And especially if you have a nice car to drive, it's even more fun how fast you can grow. I mean, go. I mean, grow. (laughs) We got too many police officers in the church. I can't make jokes like that. Tim, I always go the speed limit. I just, it's a matter of principle as a man of God. I just always go the speed limit. Never a minute above it or a mile above it. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> when you begin to serve others, you're going to grow like crazy. You, you learn more actually doing than just watching or hanging out in the atmosphere. Like, it's awesome that we're here together on Sunday, but we are the church gathered, and that's one aspect of us, but we also are going to be the church going. There's one day a week where we're gathered. There's six where we're going. And we've kind of reversed that. We've turned church into, well, there's that one day. We go, we go, we go. Well, that's, that's good. Or we, we gather, we gather, we gather. But actually, it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. When you're out in the real world with real people and their real problems, and you have your real problems, and now you're letting Jesus move through your life because you're making disciples and you're sharing your faith and you're inviting people into a relationship and you're seeking God on how you can make a difference even feeling like you might not know exactly what to do, I guarantee you're going to grow like crazy. And in the American church, we, we often get this backwards, and I've probably been part of the problem uh, in some of the ways we've modeled things, because we expect ministry to come from the minister. So like, who's our professional champion that we throw up there and, and then they kind of, you know, are like, you lead the way. And, and, I'll, and people will say really, meaning, really nice things to me, but they're totally unbiblical. Like, Pastor, I need you to come pray for this person, or I need you to go talk to this person about this thing. And my answer almost always, I try to be nice, is like, no, no, you do it. And if you don't know how, I'll teach you. Let me show you this really cool move. This is like the best move I have. If you ever need anybody to be healed. Dear Jesus. I pray right now that you would heal this person. I pray right now that in accordance with scripture, what you said, your body was broken so that our bodies could be whole and I release healing into your body today in Jesus' name, amen. Do you got it? Go pray for the sick. Let me teach you another move really quick. Let me teach you another move really quick. Pastor, my my son, daughter, uncle, niece, co-worker, whatever, they're freaking out. They're, They're all crazy and all this kind of stuff. I think they might have a demon. In Jesus' name, you come out right now. You have no authority here over this person, and I command you to go in Jesus' name. Boom. Cast out demons. Whoa, my gosh. (laughs) I've cast out demons, and it's not because I'm a pastor. It's because I'm a Christian, and so are you. Come on. Pastor, how do I share? I need you to come. Pastor Mark, I need you to come and and lead my my nephew to Jesus. He, He wants to become a Christian. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Do you want to follow Jesus? Okay, pray this prayer with me. And now you're going to walk this walk. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, come into my heart. I give you my life. You're my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now come to church with me. Let's, get, let's, get, let's do this. You can do it. If you need equipping, man, I I commit myself. I'll do the best that I can do. The leaders here, the mentors, we're gonna do the very best we can do. But it's not the minister's job to do ministry. This is the paradigm that has to get broken. It's our job as God's people, as disciples. We are disciples, we're called to be disciple makers. Listen to the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world And make disciples. But he didn't stop talking. He said, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you to. So we see two specific things here in the Great Commission. One, there's a command that disciples are to make disciples. I call this multiply. Okay, the second thing that Jesus says is we're to teach people to obey. This is obedience. And here's what happens. When we obey Jesus, our life gets better. We become magnetic and people are drawn to us. And then we can actually multiply and bring people into the kingdom of God. When it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, the leader's responsibility, these mentors, these fivefold, is to equip God's people, that's us, to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. David Poston, a great Bible teacher, he says this is about the quality and the quantity of the church. Now, the church is not a building. We are the church. We gather inside of a building that we call a church, but we are the church, okay? So if I'm a Christian and I'm building up the church, the body of Christ, I'm adding to, as David Pawson says, the quality and the quantity. How do you help people increase the quality of life? You teach them to obey Jesus. Because when you obey Jesus, you're living out what Jesus says and who Jesus is and what Jesus would do in a given situation. The quality gets better, okay? But then when you live for Jesus, you become magnetic. You have a light out and people are gathering around you And now you add to the quantity, and you begin to multiply. The only people that grow the church, the only people that make disciples are imperfect, unqualified, obedient doers. And so maybe we should like go, hey, I've read the manual through a couple times. I've been at church three, four times. I've heard Pastor Jake say some stuff on Sunday. What if now I said, I'm going to do, I'm going to go. I'm going to put it into play. I'm going to put it into action. Because when you increase obedience and multiplication when we begin to see this working in our lives, you're going to tra- transform the world around you. And you're going to bring people to Jesus. And this is what discipleship is, making disciples. And this is how the church is meant to function. But maturity is not just head knowledge. Maturity is ministry, being equipped and then going and doing it in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the beautiful, wonderful group of people. Joy Church, this incredible congregation. I pray that, Lord, you would bind us together with bonds of relationship, fellowship, that we wouldn't just be lonely individuals coming and sitting in a room on a Sunday to experience a religious service, but that we would rather be drawn together, united together through fellowship, through relationship, through the blood of Jesus, and common purpose, that, God, our, our, our church wouldn't just be a, a, an inch deep and a mile wide, but we'd be deep in the word, deep in fellowship, rich, Uh, together, sharing in both the the highs and the lows of life. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a church of doers, not not watchers, that we wouldn't be looked at as a church of observers, but that when people look at Joy Church now and forever, they would say, man, that's a group of people. I can't really even distinguish individuals. I just see so many people living out their faith and not always doing a perfect job, but always going forward and, and Lord, I pray that we would be a disciple-making church. I pray that we'd be a multiplying church. I pray you would release this in and through us in the name of Jesus, amen. If you would bow your head and close your eyes, right now we'd like to give an opportunity for any person who's come to church today, and you might say, hey, I'm not part of the family of God. I am not a Christian. I have not given my life to Jesus. I'm living for me. I'm living for pleasure, whatever it is. Maybe you come to the end of that and you say, I need hope I need a savior. Jesus saved you. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And he invites us into relationship with him. We can put our trust and faith in him. And he asks us to give him the lordship of our life. In other words, we follow him. If you want to follow Jesus, you want to give your life to him today, would you raise your hand so I can see? Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Praise God. Come on. If that's you, just lift it up. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you. We're just going to pray. Awesome. 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 We're just going to pray together. Let's pray all of us together. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I put my hope and trust in you and only in you. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that today.